Yesterday, if you were watching TV last night, um, you may have heard some great news. Um, the weather guy said today marks the end of hurricane season, or yesterday, so we can be thankful for that. We uh, dressed up our sanctuary. Actually, in the Philippines, they start September the 1st. When I was over there in October, uh, in 95-degree weather and 150% humidity, I heard uh, a crooner in the mall singing, the weather outside is frightful, and I had to agree. Uh, but today, we get to celebrate Christmas, and we like to do that at First Baptist. We like to celebrate this whole season. We sing sometimes uh, Christmas carols on the streetcars, and Miss Billy always does a great job decorating the sanctuary. And today, the, the kids, Jeff and Kelly class, did Advent for us. We're reminded that uh, Christmas is just a lot of fun around here. And I think for the most part, we do a pretty good job, uh, although I, I know it's up to the individual to try to, to keep the commercialization out of it. And even in the midst of all of the activity and the food and the occasional football game, that there would be uh, an awareness that there's a reason for all this. Mark Batterson said in his new book, if we're not careful, we either uh, Americanize the Christmas story or we spiritualize the American dream, if we're not careful. And so today we've been able to begin a celebration of grace. We started it with the Lord's Supper, with the Advent story, and and we're reminded that we need that, that, that movement of God. We need that word of God. We need that, uh, that, that Christ would remain the middle of Christmas. One of my very favorite quotes, I think, is, uh, I wish I knew who said it, but I don't. And it, it sort of brings the, the idea that the Lord's table belongs in an awareness of Christmas. And this quote says, to kneel at the manger and not at the cross, is to miss the point of both. That 33 years after this miracle birth, we, we are aware that grace came down in the, in the form of Jesus dying on the cross, that that, that, that was a, a need that we had. And, and so grace is what God has done to help us understand the true Christmas story from beginning to end. When our very first couple of days that I started thinking about this when David told me he was going to uh, try to take some time off and what I uh, just stand in today, I was uh, opened up my computer and my Bible program that I use to make me seem a lot smarter than I actually am, the, the first splash screen, the thing that opens up is a, is a daily devotional by Charles Spurgeon. And on November 18th, that particular day, I'm just going to read a, a little bit of it because it was like God had sent me an email. He had these words based on Psalm 93, and it, it's lengthy, but it preaches well, so stay with me. Spurgeon wrote, Christ is everlasting. Of him we may sing with David, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Rejoice, believer, in Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
the babe was born in Bethlehem and he was united to the word which was in the beginning by whom all things were made. The title by which Christ revealed himself to John in Patmos was him which is and which was and which is to come. If he were not God from everlasting, we could not so devoutly love him. We could not feel that he had any share in that eternal love which is the fountain for all covenant blessings. But since he was there from all eternity with the Father, we trace the stream of divine love to himself, equally with his Father and the blessed Spirit, as our Lord always was, so he is forevermore. Jesus is not dead. He never liveth to make intercession for us. He goes on to say, when only your last battle remains to be fought, you shall find that the hand of your conquering captain has not grown feeble. The living Savior shall cheer the dying saint. When you enter heaven, you shall find with him there, bearing the dew of his youth, and through eternity, the Lord Jesus shall remain the perennial spring of joy and life and glory to his people. Living waters you may draw from this sacred well. Jesus always was, he always is, he always shall be. He is eternal in all his attributes, in all his offices, with all his might, willing to bless, comfort, guard, and his chosen people. Wow. You would uh, be tempted to think that, that grace was kind of a plan B. Ephesians, Paul kind of defines it. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. So we understand that grace is from God and that we're saved by it. Somebody else tried to create a, a, a catchy little way to remember grace, and they, they said it, that grace is an acronym that stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, that works too. But it's not all of it. We would get the idea that, okay, all of a sudden Paul realized in Romans 3 that there are none righteous, no, not one, and, and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God, you better get busy and do something about it. But grace was his idea from the very beginning. From the garden when uh, Adam and Eve needed a, a covering from their sin. Leap uh, forward to Genesis I've written down a few passages. I found 20 in the Old Testament that, that had the word or the concept of grace. In Genesis 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That, that the Lord would save him, would allow him to go in the ark, would allow him to be preserved. He had found grace. Esther 2.17, the, the scripture tells us that Esther found favor and loving kindness in the eyes of the king. And the two words that are used there are the, the word that becomes translated, the New Testament word charis, which is grace, and then the Old Testament word that represents God's steadfastness, that chesed love that, that is his and only his. And, and yet the, the writer of Esther says that the king loved her, he favored her, he, he gave grace to her. <laughs> the one I like the best, because it's a lot more like me, is over in Jonah, and you would think that maybe Jonah was just glad that he escaped the whale. But at this point in his prophecy, the sullen prophet is mad at God because he spared the city of Nineveh. And he uses the word grace in sort of a, a, a monologue with God. He says, okay, I knew you'd be that way. I knew you'd be graceful. You said you were going to destroy him, but you didn't. You spared them. You showed grace to them because that's the way you are. I like that. 
Even when, I'm, even when I am not feeling it, God is defined, God's very character is defined by the grace that he shows even to people who don't deserve it, especially to people who don't deserve it. So maybe we would kind of conclude our little grace walk through the Old Testament by going back to Numbers, which is a, a blessing that Aaron gave as the first high priest when he said the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord uh, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's, that's the grace that, that's not plan B. It's not a, a second idea. It's what God knew that we as sinful people would need from the very beginning. So when Luke begins to talk about grace, he gives us a story that's pretty remarkable. He gives us the story not of Advent, Stay with me. The advent of the advent. And Luke's the only one that talks about this, the the miraculous birth of Jesus' cousin, whom we later came to know as John the Baptist. Well, we first dial in, if you kind of look at the the beginning of Luke chapter 1, the first four verses are one sentence in Greek. So I'll just kind of summarize those and dive into verse 5. Luke tells us that he wasn't there from the beginning, that he wasn't actually an eyewitness. He also tells us that he writes this so that Gentiles could understand the story. He's writing as a Gentile physician to a Gentile named Theophilus, and he says, okay, I wanted you to be able to wrap your minds around all of this. So in Luke's gospel, we we know that he's always friendly to the Gentiles, that he's always friendly to to the sort of marginalized, the disenfranchised. So we get this story through the eyes of the the, the first two godly parents that Luke lets us in on. And so in the very first part of our text today, let me just walk you through this whole chapter sort of on a speed round, and then I'll come back and... uh, and try to make some sense of it for me. Beginning of verse 5, he tells us that in the days of Herod, and that's Herod the Great, there was a priest named Zacharias. Okay, that's going to be John's dad. Says that uh, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. So there we realize that Elizabeth is in a priestly line herself. So John could have claimed a priestly line, he didn't. Verse uh, Six says they were both righteous in the sight of God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments, all the requirements of the Lord. Verse 7 sort of gets us to the crux of the whole chapter. But they had no child. Now the Old Testament uses a word that sounds pretty harsh. There in, uh, or John's uh, New Testament, the Luke's New Testament, he says they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. That's just a hard word. It sounds harsh. It even, it even sounds harsh just to say it, barren. It sounds empty. It sounds, and that's the way that it was because the, in the, the eyes of the Jewish people, if you didn't have kids, then your, your lineage stopped. You, you just you didn't get to go any further. You, you would never be remembered on this earth. Maybe you remember back in Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham had this discussion with God. And by this time, Abraham was pretty famous he was pretty rich, he was pretty powerful, fame, wealth, and power, all good things, I guess. But Abraham wasn't satisfied. And basically, God called him out, and he said, uh, what's, what's, what's up with the long face? 
He said, well, all this wealth and fame and power, that's all good stuff, but uh, you promised me a son. And I'm thinking, you know you're talking to, Abraham? You're, you're talking to God. And you kind of call him out and tell him he didn't do what he said he was going to do. And it gets worse in the next verse. Now, I'm born in the South, and so whenever somebody says, let's go outside and settle this, that doesn't sound like it's going to end well. Well, God said to Abraham, let's go outside. I'm going, you're in trouble now. <laughs> As, and, but God said, look at the stars. That's your descendants. You're going to have all the children. You, you, I will be faithful to my promise. And so when, when Elizabeth and Zacharias were praying and praying and praying for a son, they were trying to cling to the promise that God said, you can have some kids. All right, keep going. So then we get kind of a change of, of gears here in verse 8. It happened that while he, Zacharias, was performing his priestly service, he was sort of a, a lay pastor, and uh, they occasionally got to go into the temple and offer sacrifices and whatnot. And so it was Zacharias' turn. And so while he was in there, an angel shows up. Now, quick show of hands. Last time you were having a quiet time and an angel showed up. Anyone? And just in case, <laughs> somebody, good, let's talk. Um, just in case, later on, the angel identifies himself. He, hello, my name is Gabriel. And, uh, and so Zacharias is surprised, to say the least. Troubled is the word that's used in verse 12. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. Okay, good. You will have joy and gladness. That's the theme verse of this whole passage. You will have joy and gladness. God's heard. God's acted. It's all good. Verse 15, he will be great, talking about his son. Then he tells a little bit about what his son will become. Then Zacharias, in verse 18, if he'd only just kind of gone with it, Zacharias couldn't, though. He says, how will I know for certain? How am I going to know this? The angel answered, hello, my name is Gabriel, uh, who stands in the presence of God. I'm going to make it happen. Well, God's going to make it happen. So the chapter kind of concludes. Verse 21 starts a new paragraph. The people were waiting for Zacharias, wondering about the delay. Talk about that in a second. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision. And then verse 24, these days, after these days, Elizabeth became pregnant. And verse 25, she just makes the proclamation. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me. He looked with favor, grace, upon me. Now, I see grace in a number of ways in this passage, and so kind of walk back through it with me if you would. And let's start with the idea that Elizabeth and Zacharias found the grace to hope. What do you hope for? What do you long for? What do you wish could happen but isn't? What do you, what do you think as you, as you ponder your day or your week or your life? And you go, if only this would happen. If only this would happen. Well, again, view it through the eyes of parents who didn't have kids, and that's all they wanted. That was the, the Jewish tradition. And so here were these godly, righteous people, and they dared to hope. I don't know how many of you have been parents. Obviously, some of you haven't. 
But a lot of times when our kids do stuff that's a little goofy, we start beating ourselves up. What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do less of this or more of this? And, and, and if you view that these are two parents who are in pain, and yet they dare to hope. How do we know that? In my Bible, I circled verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were advanced in years, old people. Verse 13, but the angel said, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard. Every day they cried out to God. God, make this happen. Let us have a kid. Let us have a child. And I don't think they were blameless because they wanted to have a child. I think they were blameless because they were in love with God. But in that, they, they brought their pain, they brought their emptiness, they brought all that back to God, and they said, we dare to hope that even though we're old, even though it shouldn't happen, even though mathematically maybe not so much possible, we think we could have a baby. They had the, the grace to hope, and somehow God sustained them in that. And if you are a parent, or if you have ever waited, or if you've ever been in pain, or if you've ever failed at something, then you know that there is this, this daring seed within each of you that God put there that you would dare to hope that God hears, that God has a plan, that things are going to be different even if you can't see it right now. They had the grace to hope. Well, going down to uh, verse 8, verse 7 reminds us they had no child. And I want to talk just for a minute about the grace to wait. It almost seems disconnected between verse 7 and verse 8. We, we get that they are crying out to God. We, we want to have a child, but we don't. And now all of a sudden we get the description of Zacharias going in to do his temple service. It's like, okay, wait, 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 don't leave me hanging. What about the kid? Okay, but the grace to wait means that we work while we wait. The grace to wait means that the last thing that God told us to do, that's what we do while we wait for him to do what he's promised to do tweet that so he waited by working he, he, he let his action he let his 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 duties he, he went on with what he was supposed to do so he went in the temple and he's working while he waits now it happened verse 8 that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division according to the custom of the priestly office all that to tell us that he got to go into the temple to burn incense. And the implication here is that he got to go into the holiest of holy places. That he got to wait while he hoped in the most sacred place of the temple, the holy of holies. And so he's in there lighting incense and he's waiting. Now, Hebrews 11 kind of tells us about what that means. He says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Assurance and hope, that, that doesn't seem to go in the same sentence. But, but the very nature of faith, the waiting part of this, is that we would have the strength, we would have the, the grace to wait. And that's faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So the writer of Hebrews, he, he went back and got this. He said, there's this, there's this waiting that comes and grace to wait. I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. 
I am not a good waiter person. Yesterday morning, we were in North Atlanta with my family, and I said, Judy, we got to get in the car. We got to get on the road. If we don't get through Atlanta before the Georgia Tech and the Georgia lunatics begin to gather for tailgating in downtown Atlanta, we're never going to make it through there. So we hurried up, we piled in the van, we got through Atlanta, we get past the capital, we get south of the city, and I'm going, yes, didn't have to wait at all. Then we crossed the Alabama line. And I went, you know, there's another ball game going on. We sat near Auburn, Alabama, a bicycle passed me on I-85. Bicycle. I'm in line. And here he goes, really, a bicycle? I hate to wait. And yet, this, this grace that comes in waiting, this, 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 this thing that God allows us to do to build our strength, to build our, our faith, to build our patience, James would say that, that faith gains endurance in waiting. And so Elizabeth and Zacharias got to wait. Well, let's move on. Verse 14 is, like I said, is sort of the, the, the center of the passage. He said, you will have joy. You will have gladness. He's, he's in the Holy of Holies. He's having his quiet time. He's burning the incense. The angel shows up. Hello, my name is Gabriel. And by the way, God's heard your prayers. It's all good. It's going to happen. You're going to have a son. You will have great joy. But that's not even the beginning of it. Let me give you a, a sense of what that boy is going to be. And I call this grace to believe. For me, the hero, one of the heroes in the New Testament is a, is a guy that we don't even know his name. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, there's a father who wants desperately for his son to be healed. He, he, just, he, he really wants his son to be healed. And Jesus shows up, and Jesus said, if you believe it can happen. If you believe, your son's going to be okay. And the, and the father, who is now my poster child for all fathers in the universe, he says to Jesus, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Grace to believe for me is to say, okay, I, I see on paper, experientially, I've seen God show up. I've felt his presence in this room. I see the delight as children light the candle. I, I get it when we get to push pause and take the Lord's Supper and we get to examine ourselves and we get to confess all those things that are, that are black inside of us and we, we, we experience the cup and we experience the bread and we know that God has made a way for us to be reconciled with him. It's an amazing thing. We felt all of that. I do believe. Help me in my own. Help me. I struggle with this idea. So, so, so I've got the grace to hope. I've got the grace to wait. And now I've got to believe that, that, that the one little thing that I can wrap my minds around, you're about to blow it into big time. And so look what he does. He said, Zach, not only are you going to have a son, verse 15, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Then he sort of does a Nazarite vow. If you need to know that, look back at Samson's story in Judges. He said he will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, capitalized H, capitalized S, Holy Spirit. Not, not just a spirit, but the Holy Spirit. This is Luke's first mention, obviously. 
And he will develop it much further. But he says that, that this child is going to be filled with the spirit of God himself. He said he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord. And in verse 17, here we go. And it is he who will be a forerunner before him. And him there is capitalized. Jesus. Now John is is going to be a forerunner. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be the advent of the advent. And his dad is just trying to get his mind around God saying, I'm going to fulfill the promise that you're going to have a kid. And let me tell you about that kid. Now, I've held a son when he was just minutes old. I've looked down into a baby's face, a son and then later a daughter, and I got to imagine all the amazing things that God might do with that child. All the incredible things that, that, that just a little, in the case of our two little nine-pound bundles of potential. And yet as a father, and especially 25 years into this thing with my son, I'm able to go, okay, God, there, it took some twists and turns that, that I didn't quite wrap my mind around. But I still believe. And, and, and I can identify with what the angel was trying to tell Zacharias there. He says, not only are you going to have a son, but oh, let me tell you about that son. And he goes on to say, quoting Malachi, he said that, that the one he proclaims is the one who will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. And then he identifies himself. <laughs> and I like this part. It's just so human. Zacharias had trouble believing. He had the grace to believe, and yet it was not until the angel just kind of caught him up in worship. The grace to worship. That he really clicked in on this. And the ironic funny isn't God just being God the angel says and so since you didn't quite get it verse 20 you'll be silent and unable to speak when these things take place because you did not believe my words I told my Sunday school class this morning why are they picking on the guy I mean Elizabeth didn't believe either but she didn't have to be quiet for nine months now Zacharias is unable to speak at all he comes out of there and he's doing sign language and they go, he's either been smoking the incense or something's happened in there that's, that's gone beyond. And so, so they, the people were waiting for Zacharias and they were wondering about the delay in the temple. And he wasn't even able to say, I've been out earlier except I needed to have a little conversation with an angel. Wow. But we get the gist of what it was that Zacharias really heard from the angel when he finally was able to speak. If you look over in verse 77, Luke was famous for writing long chapters. And in verse 77, he said, here's what's going to happen with the guy your son's going to talk about. He's going to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. 
with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He had grace to worship. He maybe what we all need is to be silent. I don't know about nine months. My wife would probably be okay with that. But I know that sometimes I talk when I should listen. I know that sometimes I, I'm busy when I ought to be still. Psalm 46, be still, cease striving, and know that I am God. Know that I am strong among the nations. That, that sometimes all of us, even when we go into our, our quiet place, even when we set aside time for God, we're just busy. We're listening to stuff, and we're doing stuff, and we're looking stuff up. And the angel said to, to Zacharias, okay, in this holy space, I'm going to let you create even more space. And that's, that's a great message for us. That the grace to hope that goes towards the grace to wait, that moves to the grace to believe, giving us the grace to worship, it's going to need some space. It's going to need for us in this busy season to, to do things like what we did in the Lord's Supper. To where when you're holding the cup and the bread, perhaps your mind goes to the First Corinthians instruction that Paul gave us. That when we are able to, to participate in that, let every man examine himself. Let us take the time. Let us push pause. Let us step out for a second and go, okay, God, you've blown us away with this thing called grace. And the table is a great, great symbol. So we have lots of symbols around us. We have beautiful decorations. We have the cross. We have the table. We have all kinds of ways where God is screaming us that we can have grace for our longing hearts. The point of the table is reconciliation. The point of the table, the point of worship, the point of the word is for us to say to each other and to a lost world, hey, Jesus has provided a way for us to be reconciled with God. Jesus has shed his own blood. John would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, whoever would place their trust in him, whoever would dare to have the grace for hope and for waiting and for belief and for worship, if you dare to place your trust in this man, he will reconcile you to God. The table's also a place for us to reconcile with one another, for us to realize that the color of our college loyalty or the way football games turn out, maybe even bickering among relatives. Judy and I had this conversation. We're really having some drama in my family. But that pales in comparison to the grace, to the grace for every longing would you pray with me? Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for a reminder that everybody in here who feels beat up, everybody in here who feels maybe they were drawn to this place because it's the Christmas season and it's just a great reminder to hear children singing and see candles lit. But God, perhaps today you've drawn them to yourself through the idea that 
we can worship Emmanuel, God with us. That you came as, a, as an infant. You lived 33 years on this earth. You died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to you. Father, if there's someone here who needs that message, let them not go another day without proclaiming, I don't know what it means, I don't know what it's all about, but I want to be a follower of this Christ. Father, for the rest of us, let us push pause and even as we see the commercialized season around us, let us remember that you gave us the grace to hope, to wait, to believe, and to worship. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.